You know, every time I attend one of these Wheel of Randy episodes, I remember some advice my mom gave me. What did she tell you? Not to come. (laughs) A couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, it's Wheel of Randy, the number one Randy Newman podcast in the world. Pretty much the only Randy Newman podcast out there. Which is crazy. Someone better than me needs to be doing something like this. He deserves this. There are, what, 20 podcasts out there for Journey? Come on. Someone needs to step up. I'm tired. How would you like to spin the wheel for a while? <laughs> Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. Folks, we've got Lucas Ross here today. Say hi to everybody, Lucas. Hello, everybody. Lucas is is a, a, a beloved local personality. Uh, he is he uh, the, has the the amazing ability to to be in a car commercial that I don't want to fast forward through. <laughs> well, that's, he's, that's, he's, like, that's a huge compliment, man. He, he's, he's been, uh, he's portrayed Donnie on, on the Ferguson Buick GMC commercials for, God, what, 10 years now? I think it's going on like 12 or 13. It's crazy. Uh, and he's also on uh, KOFR and KUT and just all over the place. And, uh, I, I I keep thinking of that that song Kansas City Star that that that's what you are around here, Lucas. Oh, you're giving me such nice compliments. I just feel like I've just worn people down enough that they just accept me, whether they really care or not. They're just like, ah, okay, they're here, he's here. <laughs> my my late father-in-law re- really really loved your your, your character oh, Donnie on those commercials. <laughs> Do you get called Donnie on the street? I do. That's one of the better things I get called. I've been called lots of different things, but uh, Donnie is, it's funny because, well, there's also a lot of people that they know that I've done. And when you say like, I do news, like I'm not your, I, I'm just like do comic relief or, or whatever. I'm just a distraction from bad news on there, but people still associate me with like, they think I'm a news guy. They're like, Hey news, man, you look just like that Donnie guy. They always <laughs> put it together. And uh, so I'm like, Oh yeah, I get that a lot. Or people will be like, you look like that idiot on TV. I don't want to insult you. You're not as you're you're not as dumb looking as him. I'm like, <laughs> thanks, mom. <laughs> no, but it's been fun. It's been fun, you know, uh, getting to do this. And uh, for the most, that that's one thing I do get told a uh, regular basis. I'm sure there's other people that disagree with it. They're like, I can watch you. I can watch those car commercials. I, I might not like them, but I don't skip them because I'm just curious of what you're gonna do. And I was like, well, that's great. I hope it works for them. It evidently does. So they kept me doing it forever. Um, but the best part is people think I know stuff about cars and like. I back before the pandemic, I would be asked to like judge car shows and stuff because they think I was an expert on cars. I was like, I don't know anything. There's not much difference between me and Donnie. I'm a complete idiot. So that 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 that's got to make it awkward if you're you know on on the side of the road needing a, a jump or something. Oh, yeah. Oh man, my mechanic thinks it's hilarious. I have a friend that's a, that works on my car, and I had to. Uh, I was driving a. I got a blowout and I was changing my tire. I was like, I've done this a million times. I can do it really fast. And it wasn't working what I was doing. I got so overconfident and there's other stuff going on in my world. And I put the tire on backwards. And when you do that, not only does it not turn, but you can put the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts, you can screw on fast further uh-huh. past it to where they're on there and it strips or breaks off. So, oh man. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to like, <laughs> I'm in the parking lot of a gas station changing my own tire. They're like, hey, is that the, the car guy? And then I had to call my mechanic. He's like, well, you can get out here. if you." I was like, man, I broke off like six of the things. He's like, tow it. I was like, oh, man. Anyway, I digress. I, Sorry, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. but I yeah. had a very similar experience. I, I, I put my, my lug nuts on and I put them on yeah, finger tight. And I was like, yeah, that should be good enough. Oh. And, about about a mile later, the 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 tire 
uh, fell off on the road and was, was bouncing oh. down the road like like when you crash into something in pole position. Oh, no. It was nuts. And, of course, my son was in the car. Oh, great, great job. Experiences. Yeah, right, right. I, I'm thinking back to, like, when my dad, when I was a kid, my dad, you know, your parents, you just, whether you agree or not with them, you figure they have everything figured out because they're adults. Yeah. I'm, I'm at that stage now. I mean, I know it's not a surprise, but I'm just like, I literally know nothing of what I'm doing every day. And I'm just trying to convince my kids. I'm lying to them daily, making them think that I'm safe. We're going to be okay another night. And me mentally, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I'm not fit for this. But anyway. Uh, in addition to your TV uh, stuff, you are a very talented musician uh, and uh, a, a local ambassador for the banjo. I think that's fair to say. Uh, I have to admit, I have never been to the Banjo Museum. I've driven hey. past it a hundred times. Well, I got to tell you, I've been play I was playing the banjo for a while before I ever came myself. And people were like, you know, there's a banjo museum in Oklahoma. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I go down there sometime. I had no really idea what it was other than I'd seen really beautiful pictures of it. I had no idea. It's a two-story facility, uh, 400 banjos on display. It's the only one in the whole world like this. And uh, outside of Oklahoma, musicians and uh, stars from all over the place, from Bela Fleck, who's an amazingly acclaimed banjo player, to Steve Martin, who everybody knows mostly for his comedy and acting and stuff, um, have know this place as it's the beacon for this instrument. And it just happens to be in Oklahoma. So it's really, really cool. I never would have thought that that instrument would have led me to all the opportunities and the friendships that I've got to, to have because of it. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I, I love the banjo because it, it... It's, 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 it's an instrument that, that's easy to, to misunderstand and it's easy to, 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 uh, to dismiss it and, and, sure. and draw a caricature of. But it's something that, that it's an instrument I've always taken very seriously. Um, if you don't mind. Oh, sorry. That's what kind of drew me to it, I think, is because it's just this novelty of the idea. Yeah. I'd see Steve Martin or Kermit and have it, and I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't know the deep roots that the instrument had uh, in America. I mean, it was kind of acclaimed as America's instrument. It came to us from Africa and early uh, enslaved Africans were developing this instrument based on memories of uh, folk instruments from their home and their past. And while there are similar stringed instruments with gourd or with um, animal hide or something wrapped over something kind of a drum or rhythm instrument, it really took its shape the way that we know it here on American soil and, um, it's, I, I, on the same way, I came to it from a novelty thing. Is like it's a loud instrument. It's like the I play the accordion. I've been the accordion. I play accordion. I play banjo. It's like if I get a set of bagpipes, I'm going to be put on a watch list or something because they're all these <laughs> cliche instruments. But that's what made me think like, well, nobody else I know plays the banjo, so I'm going to do it. And um, I didn't know, uh, especially. I mean, it's been present here in the story that they tell at the museum and and the history and the ever evolving place of the banjo, but especially this past uh, year with all the discussion on, uh, on America and where we stand and stuff with a lot of different things. It's been a um, really neat to see that and be part of that story and listening, you know, and continue to listen to uh, how to present it correctly and, uh, and, and to do something that's uncomfortable. America has uh, a lot of good, bad, and a lot of ugly, and that instrument was right there along with a lot of it. So, um, it's been interesting. It's led me to, my wife does a nonprofit in, in Africa, in Ghana, and I've gone over and done music workshops and leader there was like, hey, you need to bring your banjo for our children here. And I was like, yeah, I'm the last person to bring this over there. They're like, well, they've never seen it. They don't know it and you'll do. And so I, I, I kind of told the perspective of the banjo from the history and, uh, and then they showed me how they play instruments and I used with them. And I learned a little lot more than they did I know but it was an honor to kind of do that. I never knew that that instrument would, would do that. So I do, I approach it with a really serious respect. Even though I use it for comedy and stuff, I never, I'm the butt of the joke. The, the instrument's not. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up taking it fairly seriously. I, I grew up in uh, the the edges of Appalachia in, in Northern right. Alabama. So, uh, you know, I was surrounded with, with very talented players and, and people yes. who took it very seriously. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Steve Martin, you know, when I was eight or nine, I picked up a copy of the Steve Martin brothers. Oh, oh yeah. Which, Can you imagine being 
a Steve Martin fan and buying his first record, Wild and Crazy Guy, Let's Get Small, Comedy's Not Pretty, which was one of, really one of my favorites, but didn't hit like the other ones the same way to that mass audience. And then right. he finally puts out his fourth album, and it's like two tracks of comedy, and the rest are all banjo. No lyrics. One song had lyrics, but it wasn't funny. I mean, the disappointment that fans have to have, but that that's what I first heard why I started really listening to banjo music because of that. And uh, those were some of the first songs I learned whenever I decided to play. But yeah, those songs are great. And whenever he went back into it and got into Bluegrass Heavy, he went back and re-recorded a lot of those original songs that he wrote um, for The Crow, an album oh, okay. that he did in 2009. But uh, yeah, sorry, I jumped on it. But yeah, so, so you you had the Steve Martin Brothers album? I, I, I did, and uh, I, maybe it's in the attic somewhere. But yeah, uh, but yeah that was... Uh, I, I got that album because he played part, um, Dr. Demento played part of the stand-up. Uh, oh, yeah. On a regular basis. He played what I believe pretty frequently. Yes. And <laughs> and when it was done, you know, Dr. Demento is a very serious blues musician, historian in his own oh, I, right. Uh, said, you know, folks, you should pick this record up. It's uh, it's definitely two sides, but uh, the, awesome. the, the second half is banjo and it's worth a listen. So once again, Dr. Demento is uh, oh, yeah. influencing my, my, my taste over the years. Uh, he's, uh, he's amazing. Do you feel, do you follow his like Facebook page and stuff? He's still, uh, okay, now yeah. and then it, it not, not like the old days I've, I've, yeah. I've let it slide, but you know, through the eighties, I was very, very uh, loyal yeah. listener. Same here. I discovered that it was on 107.7 here and on Sunday nights. And I would just, I was just flipping through the radio. My grandpa gave me his old record player and stuff whenever he had moved. And so uh, I hooked it up and I was just going through, honestly, just flipping through the radio. And I started hearing this some crazy weird, um, I think it was a song. It was a, because he would do comedy novelty songs, but some of the stuff was just, they were pop songs back in the 50s and 60s that just, that sounded fun and hokey. And it was a, the yogi and it was this band and they were singing like yogi bear but it was a commentary or it was making fun of not making fun but it was about people that did yoga in the 60s and i okay. it was so ahead of its time and so the whole playoff was, was like saying i'm a yogi i'm a i do yoga and so whenever he said i'm a yogi baby and there's and i can't think of the name of the band and then they go hey boo boo and it was this weird comedy and every time they do that low voice all the girls would squeal like it was the beatles or something <laughs> it was so such a funny concept that that I was like, this is like, what a funny commentary that I would not would not have expected from it. Anyway, that's a great one. But I heard that playing, this weird sound of like, and I was like, what is coming through my record play? What is coming through the stereo system? And I just picked it up and, and it named with Dr. Mento. And then I heard everything from fish heads to dead puppies to sure. uh, Weird Al, uh, you know, I was just a Weird Al kid. And uh, I bought my first accordion when I was in like sixth grade seventh grade i mowed lawns all summer long and saved up like 70 bucks and i bought an accordion from a, a garage sale in my hometown i mean you know how proud my father was to see his son ride home on a bicycle with a, an accordion his first question was does that have a volume control on it at all and, uh, no. so i got to practice way back in the backyard of our house uh Okay, well, we got to talk accordion because again, accordion was something that I blew off until I heard uh, until I heard Los Lobos. Uh, oh yeah, when when they put out the How Old Will Survive? I, yeah, uh, this is I, I've I've been I've not given the accordion the credit it's due because they were it's really a, doing fantastic you know, stuff with it. It's that whole like I don't know, I remember like the old. I always go back to like Garfield comics where he always would, that was always like a, the butt of the joke. John yeah, the far side would make fun yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like if you're going to play a banjo or an accordion, you got to know all the jokes before somebody tells them to. You. And, and you also have to like have thick skin to know like, yeah, okay. And, but then be able to, to, to do something with it. And when I started doing accordion, uh, Dick Albreski, who is uh, the, um, he's not the president right now, but he's one of the core members of the Oklahoma Accordion Club. Look it up. It's awesome. Join if you have an accordion. Uh, neat, really neat group, and is very serious about the instrument. And they do this. Uh, they can't. They did get to do it this past year, but for like seven or eight years up till the pandemic, they were doing an accordion affair once 
uh, once a year and it was a free concert for the public and they did like a whole day of accordion all these accordion players would come from all over the place and play and and I would host it because I just had some well, just because I have a little I'm a novelty for it I'm not anywhere as uh, accomplished as these players and they could do so much so many incredible things with that instrument and again it's one of those things that's like uh, pop culture or, or comedy or, or storytelling or whatever had just evolved the stereotype of these hokey annoying things and uh, and it and it really gives it a bad a bad rap but um, again that's what drew me to it in the first place was was the novelty of it and but then like guys like Weird Al like uh, how accomplished he really is whenever he'll like do solos and break that breakdown and stuff on it but I'm not yeah. a big accordion fan. If I get seriously, if I get a set of bagpipes, I'll, I won't be able to fly, and I'll be on some kind of a watch list. The um, a, a funny story about my first accordion I got the E. So the inside of an accordion is like uh, has bellows and um, there's pads that cover all the different holes. Like a, if you're going to blow through a harmonica and you like use your tongue or you block some of the holes to make only certain uh, air go through certain notes. Otherwise, you just hear all the notes at once. If you push all the keys down if you're able to push all the keys down on an accordion and move the air through it you just you'd hear all the notes together so what you're doing is you're pushing one hole at a time to open up and let the air go through and it blows that note I, you might already know this but um when we first got an accordion we didn't know so my mom and i took it apart and we're looking at it and there was a uh one of the pads had fallen off of the the levers inside off of the button and so an e flat was playing constantly anytime that air was going through it. So I just, <laughs> I didn't know if that's what an accordion was supposed to do, like a bagpipe. Oh, yeah, a bagpipe does it, sure. Why not? Yeah, no YouTuber or, or uh, anybody. There wasn't an accordion teacher in Minko, Oklahoma. But, um, and so I would just, I played by ear. So I just learned to play everything in the key of E flat. And so I'd sit in the backyard and it was like, and it was like a worth of the bagpipe. You had this constant note. But we opened it up, figured out how to glue the pads back on, and it made it a little bit better, but still, uh, it wasn't years and years later that I was using it for comedy, and I, I broke it on, I broke my strap on stage one time, and I met Dick Albreski at the Czech Hall, some friends were leaving the country, and we went there to polka dance, and I met Dick Albreski, and I said, hey, uh, he was so good at the accordion, he played with the band there, I said, could you help fix my accordion, he's like, yeah, I can teach you how to actually play it. I took lessons from him and uh, it was the, for, I always struggled with learning music from being a child. I took piano and stuff. I could never really get it really hard to read and focus. And it was the first time I was actually able to sit and read the music and, and play. And uh, I, uh, I adore that guy. He's a great friend. He's a family, a family member now. And I accordion, you know, the, the instruments bring people together. And I, so I always like, I know music isn't for everybody and, but anybody's never tried an instrument I hate I hate that because you just don't know what potential you could have and what that could lead to. Whether you're whether you're really good at it or not, if you enjoy doing it, ukulele clubs or just jamming or or having well, you can't find a ukulele anymore. They're... Oh, I know. <laughs> I've Everyone's dropped one. They're all over the place. Um, I do like that the kids are learning to play ukulele in school now. Like I wish yeah. we had that instead of the recorder. Nothing against it. <laughs> you never gonna. There's no professional recorder players. Like I'd be. Mean, Kenny G, what is that? That's not a recorder. Might as well be. <laughs> no, 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 no shame on Kenny G. See, listener, I'd be a listener. Um, back to the banjo. Uh, can you recommend a couple of, of, of songs, some, some banjo pieces that might surprise people uh, who are um, familiar with it? Like um, that, okay. So, the most time when people think of the banjo now, they think of uh, that's why yeah. everybody oh it's a banjo right. paddle faster the whole like deliverance did a lot for the banjo but not really good that movie is famous for two scenes and one involved the banjo and people will still say that's the scarier part but um, <laughs> the banjo has had a really interesting area because it started as a folk instrument and that Appalachia kind of returned back to, but really in that time when it took off in early America, um, it, uh, it developed into a classical instrument to a ragtime jazz instrument. So it was used for like- Yeah, let me, oh, let me ask about that because it seems like 
it was just a staple in big band and then it just disappeared yes that's exactly that's exactly right you know um the instrument once it was for a long time the instrument was looked at as this rough and tumble uh novelty or a um it was used for minstrel shows and this was a lot of times a, a white a white performer in blackface playing a banjo representing this distorted perspective of a happy slave and uh while we see that as racist it was an accepted form of per performance in the day and it wasn't kind <laughs> at all to the people but it was this accepted thing that went on for a very long time and there were lots of there are there were some minstrels that didn't always use a banjo or they didn't always do the blackface and some were um african-american performers and stuff um and there's a whole lot that i could go into uh and there's other people that can tell these stories a lot more correct than i can but um we, we don't know who a lot of those uh, black performers were. We know the, who the, the white guy was that went and manufactured it for the first time. And so we, we have, there's a painting called the Banjo Lesson that depicts a, uh, it was painted a still life uh, photograph or picture of a grandpa figure maybe teaching his son, like they're both uh, African uh, looking like in, enslaved uh, uh, banjo playing on this like porch scene. Okay. It was painted by an African painter, Henry Oswald Tanner. It's a beautiful painting, and the way it uses colors and light and dark uh, has been acclaimed for that. But we love it because it's like until something is unearthed that has that has uh, the roots that we can trail to it, it's one of the best uh, tributes and examples we can show of those unnamed banjo players and creators of that instrument. So at the museum, there's a big, when you walk in right now, there's a kind of a display of that porch scene. There's the painting on the wall, and then uh, this creation of it. And uh, it's jarring for a lot of people that think the banjo's a, you know, do, 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 and they walk in and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And uh, it, it can be kind of shocking to see that. And um, it, the history part is ever evolving and we're trying to expand and, and go into that correctly and update it as needed. But um, all that to say is when the instrument was first looked at, it was kind of like this thing. And then people eventually like, were able to look at the instrument further along and it was considered, you know, uh, uh, dignified. They could play it with other forms of music. You could, you could play it with classical music. They have whole bands or maybe because the sound was so loud and they started using instead of a, a, a finger picking style that was used originally, uh, they would start using like a, a plectrum or a pick. Uh, and they took off the fifth string or the shorter string that was on the, the side. So if you see a banjo, there's, like C. Martin plays, there's a string peg in the middle of the neck. And that's the mm, top okay. string, drone string, and it keeps the same note. I get my banjo out, but I just, I don't want to offend your listeners. But uh, when they started using the plectrum and dragging it across, they took that fifth string off and they, they were able to, to strum it similar to uh, how you play, like maybe like a mandolin or something, because you can do the tremolos really fast and stuff. And right. it was, Add, they added on a resonator on the back, that wooden part that amplified the sound out. So this instrument had this percussive musical style to it. And uh, down the road, guys like Eddie Peabody and others would not just do the rhythm chords, they would add in a melody. So they were playing the, the rhythm and the melody themselves. And you have this rhythmic sound and you could just get so much out of this instrument. It's so loud. And so the ragtime bands, once they uh, uh, evolved into that, they adopted that sound into it because it could cut through and you could hear it in these dance parlors and these things. And they started decorating the backs of the banjos with all these frills and things. And the banjo became like America's like the biggest instrument. Everybody was playing it. These, these performers were, were Elvis. They were rock stars of their time with these, <laughs> these decked out banjos. And, um, and then uh, by like the great depression, by, by uh, world war II, and anything like you know about between 1920 it was so used and by about you know the 1930s 40s it just dropped off like you said yeah. uh you couldn't afford a banjo uh, you could afford a guitar a lot better so guys were starting to play uh guitar and that was what big band kind of adopted into it the rhythm guitar like in the uh like glenn miller style type music and stuff but if you were already in a, a if you'd already established yourself as a, as a banjo player, you'd still play, but I mean, it just wasn't, I think so a lot of banjos 
uh, kind of went untouched for a long time and it dropped significantly, almost like based on how popular it was and, and worldwide, the world was looking at America for the kind of first time with something that seemed to have come uh, rise up here. And um, it, uh, they were the, the Irish, the Celtic style were adopting it in different ways and they were using this instrument uh, all around, uh, but then it just dropped so much in, in, uh, in visibility. But like you said, off to the side in Appalachia and stuff, old uh, performers were continuing this early style that was similar to the, the early days of the instrument. And that what, that's what led into the bluegrass style and the, and the country, uh, that earthy, you know, um, acoustic sound to it that those, and they were playing with that shorter string on the side or a fifth string player. And, and you got guys like uh, Earl Scruggs who perfected that three finger picking style, you know, it was two fingers for a long time. And then he's, some of these guys started adding a, their uh, middle finger there. Okay. You get an extra note. And then you have that roll. And by the time like, man, it, like by the time Beverly Hillbillies was on TV and people heard that, well, everybody's like, what is this? How is, what, what sound is this? What, huh. what, what's making this? I, I jumped forward quite a bit. No, no, I, that's fine. Sorry, I'm going really into the history of it. And I, and I hope I'm touching on it correctly. I've listened to it so many times. I'm hoping I'm regurgitating it correctly. So forgive me out there if you know uh, this better than me. I'm still learning. But um, the, uh, that popularity, everybody wanted to play a banjo. And, and so banjo was incorporated so much. What they wanted, though, they wanted a good manufactured banjo. And those banjos that were so good that were made pre-war, these 1920s and 30, like early 30s banjos or early, older, some of them were so good. They had these tone rings that were so good. And then by, you know, by the war, they, they weren't able to use any materials for anything but war, uh, but, but to help those efforts. You couldn't use materials for that. So they wanted to go back, get these really good banjos made, but they were, um, because they had those resonators on the back. Because remember, they added the resonator during the ragtime and jazz-like age. So these bluegrass players, like Earl Scruggs, the idea, the get was to get a pre-war banjo. Banjos are like, they come apart. You can take them apart. Take the neck off, have a luthier make a five-string neck that has that fifth string on it, snap it on there, and you get the sound you want and the volume what? you want, the tone. And that's a lot of banjos. Steve Martin's banjo that he played on Saturday Night Live and The Muppet Show, that that banjo, um, I, I don't have a, well, there's a picture back there of him on the Muppet show with it. Um, uh, the, uh, that the 1927 Gibson Florentine that's adjusted, it's converted to a five string banjo. Hmm. And, uh, and so that's kind of thing now, the get is to still get a pre-war uh, banjo that has that. Sound. There was a few, there, there weren't a lot, but there's a few that were in the thirties that were made as five string banjo, but it was, it was not as common as the, the four string, either tenor or plectrum. So, um, I mean, that's kind of the, the get for everybody. I have a Gibson that's made in the sixties that was made as a, it was a five string banjo and I'll never afford one of them <laughs> or <laughs> want to touch one of those $30,000 up uh, banjos. But um, that's kind of the thing. Uh, Steve Martin actually bought a second Gibson Florentine from 1927 or 28 that's really rare. But he didn't have the heart to dismantle it. And so he just kept it for a long time. And he ended up, uh, we ended up acquiring it through, uh, through one of our board members, uh, purchased it from Steve directly. And so that will go on display here um, soon in part of a Steve Martin collection, along with another banjo he donated to us that he got when he um, won the Mark Twain, Mark Twain prize mm -hmm. at the Kennedy Center a few, oh, about, I don't know, 10 years ago now. They made him a custom banjo and Earl Scruggs signed the inside of it. And uh, so we have that banjo here too, which is uh, pretty cool. Fantastic. Now, if a kid was wanting to get into it, are, are there starter banjos? Is there something affordable out there for someone there just are, getting started? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about ukulele. That's kind of a great idea to start with, this, to get the idea of the string. Now, the chords are not going to be the same. But to get an idea of where notes are and how they move up the neck, that's a great thing for an entry. And you can get a, you can get a ukulele banjo. And it's... It looks like a mini banjo. It looks like Kermit's little banjo, but it's okay, okay. So, you, so if you can play ukulele, you can play, and it sounds a little bit more like a banjo. It has a little bit of a brightness to it. But, uh, you know, 
you can get smaller banjos. Deering banjo is making kind of a kid's banjo that kind of starts them off that's a little bit smaller. But you really, the, the kids that I've seen that learned on the big ones, by the time that they grow up, they're incredible. And it's encouraging and also so depressing. <laughs> I mean, nine-year-old children that I play, and I'll never be able to ever accomplish it. I, I judged Byron Berline, um, our, our amazing Oklahoma darling, but he's nationally just beloved as one of the greatest fiddle players. And he does a big uh, bluegrass festival up in Guthrie every year. And a few years back, they asked me to judge the youth banjo. And these kids are so good. I had no business being there. And I was like, you know that I don't, they're like, just judge, it's fine. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be that guy. And the parents are there with these kids that they've been like working on. It's what does really, he know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, and then they're looking at me like, well, you play on TV, so obviously you're an expert. I'm like, no, <laughs> you, you know that. Um, and so I remember one year this girl, uh, one of the girls that was, she came in like second or something. I thought she was really great. And a year later, we were, I got invited to Bela Flex banjo camp that he does in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. They take 100 wow. banjo players from around the world. I say I got invited. I'm sure they had to meet their quota and they're like, okay, yeah. we'll take him. We'll put him in the, anyways, you get there, they put you in a group that fits for you. So you're definitely in a, in a class that will make sense. So everybody's kind of in the same uh, level of what they've learned so far. And then you go to workshops all day and stuff. Anyway, this girl talking to me, she's like, I'm from Oklahoma. And I was like, oh, awesome, me too. And she's like, yeah, you actually judged the banjo uh, competition last year that I was in. Uh-oh. Oh, really? She was two tiers ahead of me. So uh, the judge of hers was here when she didn't win. I was like, I picked you. I want you to know that. But um, anyway, so uh, it's, uh, it's a really interesting and unique uh, uh, community. And kids could totally do that. They I think Deering makes some really good banjos. You can get some different ones if you have it set up correctly. Um, buying a cheap one online, you are, if a, any instrument you're going to buy unseen and untouched is a total risk. Yeah. And if it's playable in any way, then that's amazing to me. And not that you can't, it's just that with tipping versus knowing if the person selling it knows enough about the instrument, because some people will be like, this is a vintage this is a special instrument from the 50s. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's one of the Sears banjos they made that are not worth anything right now. And, but depending on what it is, if it's a family heirloom that's been passed down, it is worth something because it was your grandpa's. So sure. you should keep it <laughs> or uh, give it to somebody that wants to play it. But uh, uh, Deering Banjo Company out of uh, there, uh, they make them in, um, in San Diego. And I do, I've been playing, they made a banjo, a custom good time banjo for me. Good time is a great one to start on because it sounds good. It feels good uh, to, to learn on. And uh, you can continue to, in, you can improve and still want to play it. If you get something that's a little too cheap, once you start to learn, you're going to be like, oh, I, I, I want something that I can play better. And yeah, there's always still that want of like a, a Gibson or one of those really expensive things. And Deering does make all the way up to $50,000 banjos if you want. But, okay. Uh, yeah, not too. But uh, a good intro entry level banjo, uh, you could get a deal on one for around three fifty maybe. And so uh -huh. it's not as cheap. And that's what I was gonna think is like maybe I'll get like a fifty dollar banjo. You're gonna get a fifty dollar banjo unless it's somebody that's just trying to get rid of it, and you might get something really nice. But um, uh, there's some places you can buy them used that, and there are some good ones. There, there's some ones if they're set up correctly, you can learn on it. A new set of strings and stuff uh, mm -hmm. but um i'm always happy to help if you have any listeners out there that want me to guide them on a banjo i will talk about banjo all day long and tell them where they can go find a good one that they could learn on the only time i attempted to play one was uh up at, at the woody guthrie center when they had their pete seeger display a couple years uh -huh. ago and you know i could i could spend hours talking about pete seeger because that's in my blood uh yeah, but you gotta but, come to the museum. We've got we've got some of the we've got a banjo tribute set up for him. We have his Hall of Fame award whenever he was inducted. Oh uh, man, I'm there. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, great, great museum. Part, part of that display, they had one that you could 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 pick up and just mess around with. And yeah. after about ten minutes, I was like, I I don't feel like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm gonna hurt this instrument. If I... Oh, you should try again though. The, and the cool thing is the banjo is is tuned as an open. G a lot of times and so if you just strum it the five string anyway 
you got a chord right there without even having to use your left hand. So half the work's done for you. And then you, you could technically just like, you know, put your fingers across all the strings and have another chord. So you could just fret the thing and fake it. And that's what I did. My, the first banjo I ever got somebody in our uh, hometown I was doing, I was hosting some local, like I think it was the Little Miss Minko pageant. And they asked me to host. I was in eighth grade and I was so excited because I didn't get a lot of gigs in <laughs> America to perform. I couldn't be mascot till I was in high school. And that was the only real like thing you could do to put on a costume <laughs> that you couldn't talk in. That's, that's where I could perform. But so I got a tuxedo and um, I wanted to do like Steve Martin comedy because I've been listening to these old records. And he's so funny and all this stuff. So I memorized his jokes. Uh -huh. my, my parents' church gave me a banjo that she had. And it was like the fifth string was busted. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have any picks. I didn't know anything from using it. I, yeah, everybody just kind of assumed it's like guitar. So I just tuned it as a chord so I could fake it and put my fingers across it and do like three chords. I didn't know. I was kind of doing what guys did with the banjo. You tune it to a chord so you could just, uh, you know, you have that. Again, I didn't have a pick. I was using a penny. I mean, it was terrible. It was a terrible thing I was doing that banjo. And, uh, and what was even worse is I was doing the comedy. You can only imagine a kid that was listening to Steve Martin in a comedy prime playing for, you know, for these little Miss Miko. concerts. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm playing for this room. And I'm thinking, why are these people not laughing? <laughs> They're not high? Is that it? Was that the, was that the thing? I didn't realize, yeah, he was funny. And <laughs> anyway, it was great. It was it was great, but that was the first time I had a, a chance to kind of play that instrument. But again, it was before. I didn't even know how to tune it. I didn't know, there was no internet. This is pre-internet days. I, I could have, I, maybe there's a teacher somewhere, but you know, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to use it as a prop. And uh, again, that was setting way up before I'd ever realized 10 years later, 15 years later, that uh, so much more to the instrument. Let's talk a little Randy. Yeah. What song have you brought for us to talk about today? Well, I, I, I didn't really realize until I started preparing for this how much his style of music really inspired my, whether it was him exactly or the way that he does music and the way he does a lot of chords and way he uses sevenths and he sets up uh, uh minors and resolve are really my favorite style of songs and mm -hmm. it kind of goes to some of that ragtimey type stuff and he did a he, whole he's always album. said that he was was uh, a fats domino jelly roll morton uh, yeah Taylor. that that's I, the style he was going for i love that i love his uh i love how it sets it up and it resolves and it has its happiness to it. And, and the thing that's always kind of interesting about, I don't know how, I'm, I don't know how much you address this on the show or not, but like how he, if, if he was starting out right now and singing these songs that he's singing the way he is, would like totally not fly. He would be, <laughs> would be mad. Nobody would book him because it's so, and, and he had a, he was making a statement at the time. Uh, I guess I'm not trying to defend anything right or wrong, but yeah, it's yeah. like sometimes he was making these statements that was, sarcastic or whatever and he was creating these characters that were singing that you have guys like that that sing and you have guys, other guys at the time that are singing people that are singing your you believe the lyrics are are them saying it and i don't want to hear somebody saying this about short people i don't want to hear this <laughs> and so <laughs> for somebody to take on this persona it was kind of a it was a risky thing and i that just that's a perspective i have on him but i did not know he wrote this song i knew he recorded it but i didn't know that he wrote it and it's simon smith and the amazing dancing bear okay folks uh, take pause us for a minute and and listen to simon smith this is okay. this is off of the album sail away and once we've done that we will be right back here waiting for you next time they record a real randy episode in front of a studio audience there's one song i'll remember what's that i'll be home <laughs> okay so it's interesting that that you knew the song but didn't know that he wrote this because this has been covered a ton yeah well um, i i discovered it and i didn't even know it was anything but a muppet song it was on the very first episode of the muppet show which what? ironically has just like been resurrected by disney plus muppet fans <laughs> 
never thought we'd ever see the light of day of any of these episodes because they started releasing some of them on DVD. Like, I don't oh, know. The music rights were just, yeah. yeah. It, it's totally understandable, but we're just like, there's no way. Okay, now I, 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 I've been watching on Disney Plus. Is Disney Plus airing them out of order? Because I didn't see this on the first one. The first one they showed was Rita Moreno. Right. Is that not the, truly episode one? Well, the first time that they, so they, they filmed them in, in the UK. They filmed them in London, and then their air dates were different than when how, how they aired them here. And the air dates even vary between states sometimes, New York to Chicago and different things. So huh. the first episode that was the original one that they filmed, uh, I believe, had that on it. But uh, did you say it was Connie Stevens was the first one that you? Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was either Connie Stevens or uh, I can't. I should know this. I should know this. <laughs> I, I can't remember. We'll edit this out. But uh, but but Scooter, what did it? He was in the first season. Either way. Okay. And Scooter, the little sidekick gopher, is going to sing Simon Smith and his amazing dancing dog or something. But the dog didn't show up, so Foggy joins him and is trying to sing. <laughs> And so because of that, I just, just like everything, I didn't know Weird Al was singing parodies of real songs. I thought these were just Weird Al songs. And later on, <laughs> I was such an idiot, like, what's Nirvana? No, I knew. <laughs> There's something that my parents were like, well, yeah, that's my Sharona, you know? And I'm like, what? But uh, I did not know that it was original, but they would do a lot of old songs, like Lydia the Tattooed Lady or, right, or somebody Train Chicken. Tomorrow. Yeah. They do, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was great. Um, but then, and they do some current stuff too, I knew, but I, Simon Smith seemed like such a weird thing, but to have Randy Newman, not only, I had a recording of him singing it, and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a cool thing, and I saw a lot of people covered it, but I didn't know he wrote it, and uh, that was, and then I was reading a little bit how he said, once he wrote that song, he was like, he threw like conventional writing out the window, and he was like, I'm going to write about different things, and it was just kind of portal from Anyway, the, the one quote that I read, I'm sure you're an expert on this, but from the not on Simon Smith, I am a blank slate on Simon Smith. I don't understand this song at all. So give me everything you got. Well, I, I didn't. I, I just know the idea is a guy who's trying to make it, and I'm out here with my dancing bear, and it's amazing how well-fed people can be, and it's just uh, this idea of this guy that's just trying to make it in show business. I guess. Yeah. Waves always perceived to me, and, um, and I, I can't tell if he's a kid or yeah. if, or if I. E either way, he seems imagining it, or or if it's like, yeah. I mean, I the, the reason I like it is I like the melody. I liked the the walk down the da 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 da, and it just builds up to this nice thing, and then it ends with this. Uh, I don't. I can't even describe. It gives me chills thinking about it, and it's the same way that Randy can do this with. I mean, stuff that people all love is acclaimed, like, boy, you got a friend in me, has that same kind of walk. It's yeah. a different song, and the style and the melody might seem different, but he has these same kind of sets up of uh, da -da 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 it's letting you know we're going somewhere on this little roller coaster of notes. And Simon Smith has that too, like, I know how tomorrow if I could fall a boat to where, wherever yeah. the lyrics are. And yeah. it's and it's that same kind of thing. And I was hearing something once that there's a science behind the songs that can make you emotional. And that Rainbow Connection, uh, the Paul Williams classic and Kermit the Frog standard is one of those that if you look at it from a scientific uh, perspective, it could, it's manipulative because it goes minor and then it has this note in this chord that should not be there and then it resolves. So in essence, it's like playing peekaboo with a baby that doesn't understand you're going to come back. And whenever you hear Kermit saying, uh, uh, so we've been told and some choose to believe it, that starts to get yeah. a little bit different. And then he says, I know they're wrong, wait and see. That changes a little bit. And then he says, someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. A lot of tension in the sun there. Yeah. Who knows they're not supposed to be in our brain at that point. But then he goes, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. And it's like, and it's all okay. And I mean, I get chills thinking about it right now. And yeah, I really, yeah, yeah. I love that song. And Randy is so good. And I don't know that there's a science that they think about doing that. I feel like 
sometimes it's just an artist's way of just like hearing a melody and creating it. And I, I infuse a lot of that kind of stuff in the, some of my favorite stuff that I get to play or even things I've written have those, those uh, suspended notes and those, those, uh, that feeling of, of resolve and, and happiness. And uh, whether you're playing peekaboo with the audience to get an easy uh, affirmation out of them, then so be it. Because I like how it sounds. It makes me feel good. And I know where it's going. And my ADD and OCD-ness brain likes to know there's a happy ending. It has to be a happy ending. Yeah. But I love that song. And I love to know that Randy did it. And I love that it was on that first season of The Muppet Show. And uh, I've been listening to that since I was a kid. And I had no idea that. So I was thinking like, man, what's my favorite Randy Newman song? I wanted to play You Got a Friend of Me back when I was taking piano lessons. Okay. And, like, I don't want to pick something everybody else has done. I love LA. It's great. And, uh, but then I found out that. So that's the one I went with. And uh, I don't know if you've heard the Scooter version. I could send you the YouTube video. Of the I, I would like that very much. I've, I've been going through season one on Disney Plus this week. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's I'll hit it. But really definitely cool. crazy. Crazy that they were able to, to do that and accomplish it. That show was so big. By its fifth season, it was the biggest show in the world. And yeah. Went, we did it. Shut it down. And they started doing... Fraggle Rock and Labyrinth and other stuff. And yep. uh, so it's been a good time to be a Muppet fan right now. And I don't know if you've seen, uh, because we had, the, we had a, you mentioned the um, Road to Tomorrow song. Yeah. The puppet band would do. So there's a Jim Henson likeness puppet. They had puppets of each of them. And that Jim Henson, Jim always played the that band. bearded guy. Again, yeah, yeah. The, the, the hairy guy. Uh, and he was playing a little banjo there. Jim's characters a lot of times played banjo. And he loved the instrument. He didn't really play as far as we knew. But we, a few years ago, they inducted him into the Hall of Fame for promotion because of Kermit and just how much he used it. Uh, I had made a connection with Heather Henson, his youngest daughter, and she was tracing Oklahoma roots and found that uh, Jim's parents had a farm in Meeker, Oklahoma. And nice. so she and I connected. I met some of her family. They were like, oh, meet, you're from, you're from Minko. That's where Jim's... Uh, dad had some farms and i was like no i'm from minko meeker's different typical right. Oklahoma makes up easy and they're like no we know where meeker is he had a farm near minko i was like really oh. my parents are beekeepers my grandpa my mom's dad started a bee business in the 40s in oklahoma and in minko and right around there he would use farmers he would work with farmers put bees on their land to pollinate their crops and he would get honey from it it was a system that he, he worked out and they became the largest honey producers for a long time in our state Anyway, so I'm talking to Heather and I'm trying to put things together. I, I called my dad and I was like, hey, dad, did, uh, did my grandpa have like bees outside, like in Caddo County? That's where these guys think they had a farm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, if, if it was uh, cotton, then yeah, he definitely did. So I found out it was a cotton. So there's a slim chance, I'd say 99% slim chance that Jim Henson's dad and my grandpa were farming together. At wow. Which is so cool because I've been a lifelong Muppet fan just the whole idea, the music, the entertainment, the heart, really. I, I was born right at the time of, of all of that. My oldest son is named Henson. I got issues. <laughs> but, but it was really cool to get to connect and meet Heather. So we had a display a few. It just went down in the pandemic. We hope we can maybe get back again. But it was unique to us. Our executive director, Johnny Byer, put together a Jim Henson a Life and Legacy uh, with connection of Karen Falk out of the Jim Henson Legacy out of uh, um, New York. And they sent us uh, the, the banjo that they recorded all of the music on the Muppet show on. So the audio, whenever you'd hear them playing, I like to think Kermit's really playing, this just backed him up. But uh, this is the instrument that they recorded in the studio, all the session recordings. And it was okay. autographed by all the guest stars, a lot of the guest stars on the show. Oh the my gosh. They had Julie Andrews sign it and then everybody started signing it after her. So you had Debbie Harry, you had Johnny Cash, Elton John, Wiggy, all over the place and that banjo went on to perform before the queen of england multiple times and stuff with this band before it kind of almost was destroyed in that fire almost hawked on ebay and a friend a mutual friend of heather's and mine actually saw it online and tipped her off on it she connected them got the banjo but didn't know what to do with it and she and i connected she's like there's a banjo museum we got a banjo for you we don't know what to do with it so we got to put that banjo on display for about a year and a half uh along with a kermit puppet we got one of the kermit like photo reel puppets uh, mm -hmm. that was developed into with rods and stuff so you could be posed and the banjo that kermit's holding he didn't have a banjo we wanted them up the rainbow connection banjo from the movie they didn't know where it was disney's like i don't know where it is i worked i interned in california and la back when i was in college i know they have some intern go out looking in a 
barn trying to find it and he didn't find it. And I'm like, yeah, we can't find it. Cause I was that guy. And there's the reason why if you're a big fan of third rock from the sun, that there's one episode missing from the DVD box set of season six. It's because I couldn't find it. And my box didn't want to go look for it. Yeah. That, unless they found it since then. <laughs> so if you have this memory that something happened and French Stewart said this line, and I know it's there, but I can't find it. It's probably my fault. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> but the banjo, so he didn't have a banjo and Heather Henson saw it. I, I took pictures and I sent to her the display before it, uh, before we were to open and she was going to come here and do the ribbon cutting and everything. She's like, why is it Kermit holding a banjo? We're like, we've been through this. They don't have it. We, we're just happy to get Kermit. We didn't think we'd get Kermit. It's hard. Disney, it's hard to make it all work. Yeah. So uh, about, she's like, hold on. Well, I start seeing emails pop up that I'm connected to, that I'm copied on. And we, the next day had, or two days, we had a banjo for Kermit to hold. And the banjo wow. that Kermit held was the prop banjo that the Jim Henson puppet played in that song that you just talked about. And they used that actual prop. That was really kind of one of the most special parts of the whole exhibit was that wasn't Kermit's banjo. That was a Jim Henson puppet banjo. So it was man, really neat man. to have that here. And it's been used in a lot of other episodes too. I think they used it on, on the Dick Cavett show. I think Grover might've played it on the Ed Sullivan show. So a little... That little toy banjo uh, was was really kind of special, but uh, it was cool to have that exhibit here. And because of that, we got connected to do some more stuff with Disney and uh, Matt Vogel, who currently performs Kermit and Big Bird and does so much for the, uh, the Muppets uh, as a director and stuff for Sesame Street. He actually was coming here. We connected and he is like, I'm going to be in Oklahoma and I want to see the exhibit. My daughter's in Bart Connor and Nadia Kamanichi's gymnastic display. I was like, that's just down the street. Come yeah, yeah, yeah. and he spent two hours hanging out here, hung out in my office here, and uh, picked on my banjo. I was like, I want to play the banjo. I was like, yeah, Matt, you're Kermit. Kermit, just play the banjo. So anyway, but through, that, through that connection, we were able to get Kermit to do a little video for us. So when you come to the museum, there's a welcome greeting from Kermit the Frog, the actual Kermit, welcoming everybody to the banjo museum. And then he's part of my education little video for kids that we play um, called Banjo Roots. It goes through the, it's a, a, a brief history of the banjo, and he kind of comes in and is like, I'm talking about everybody that plays the banjo and Kermit walks in and says, oh, look at you're forgetting dogs to play the banjo. And it's pretty incredible to have, hear Kermit say your name to you. I just died. I couldn't believe it. it <laughs> I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this a year. So about a year later, well, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I'd stay in contact with Matt. And uh, when, celeb when people were starting to do all the at-home video stuff and starting to like create podcasts and do a lot of this stuff, that early... Uh, I don't know if you saw early into the pandemic, Steve Martin posted a video of him playing banjo like out in the woods. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it, so Matt Vogel, uh, the Kermit performer, uh, emailed me. He's like, do you think Kermit should do a video of him playing out in a swamp? You think? I'm like, yeah. Yes, yes, he should. That's what I want to do. And so um, I guess I could say this because he said this on a podcast before, but he asked me to record the Rainbow Connection for him. So that's my banjo that you get to hear if there's a there's a video, wow. a couple of videos of Kermit in quarantine playing Rainbow Connection and probably the only time Kermit's hit wrong notes and that's my fault again. But uh, it's the coolest, one of the coolest things I've ever been asked to do and the most, uh, I, I floored that I got asked to do that. And I got to do, they did another one on New Year's Day of he and Fozzie are doing a Zoom call and they sing Moving Right Along and uh, that's my banjo for that. We did a few songs and so anyway, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. If I have done anything, I, I, I have really cool children and I got to, and I have a beautiful wife and I got to play the banjo for Kermit. So not in that order, I just think. But uh, it's really, it's really a neat uh, thing is that song is what turned me onto the instrument in the very beginning. When I heard Kermit play it in, in the Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the sound was, but it was like, what is this? And Bela Fleck has said that like, there's different people that approach the different instruments different ways. And he recalls the first time he heard uh, Beverly Hillbilly sing song. He was like, what is this sound? What's making this? And that's really what I had with the, the banjo, those notes that he's drawn at the beginning of Rainbow Connection. Uh, and it just stuck with me. So to be able to actually get to provide that for the frog uh, is awesome. And uh, I'm just totally bragging now and I'm sorry, but I just... Oh, I, I no. don't deserve to get to do it. There's really good musicians, and so it was really nice to Matt for Matt to ask me to do that. But uh, did you? I uh, say this. Kermit is real, folks. I'm just backing. Oh, we him know up. that. I'm backing him up. 
let me ask my, my other favorite banjo player. Did you get to meet Gillian Welch when she was here a couple of years ago? No, I did not. I can't remember when that was. Oh, it's been a couple of years she was at the tower. I particularly when, when she plays it on, on one morning, which is just this heartbreaking song. Um, she just I, I, I really enjoy listening to her work it. No, I, I have not. And I, I'd love to, as I've started doing stuff more here, this is kind of where I office after I do uh, the morning show at 1004 uh, to reach out. And hopefully once the pandemic and stuff, if we are able to start doing concerts and things down the road and stuff, it'd be so great to have her and others come back. We have a really neat exhibit that's here right now. We are open. It's just limited. We don't do any big shows or tours, but um, right. we have uh, an exhibit right now called Women of the Banjo that highlight uh, all the different, a lot of the women that were the unsung heroes in the early days of, uh, they were a lot of the teachers of banjo uh, that players or banjo players that went on to become well-known and famous, their teachers were women. And uh, it's just like many other parts of history, not old and, and not there. So we have a whole, uh, we have an exhibit with that, with all the different stages of the banjo, including Rihanna Giddens, who's really great. If you haven't listened to her, she's mm -hmm. uh, amazing, amazing uh, musician who's really bringing back uh, a lot of reclaiming of the banjo. And it was early, like uh, menthol uh, era times that she and the other women that are part of her group all play the banjo. And uh, they're all African-American and they, they're really uh, amazing, amazing music that we have and we've got everything all the way up to we highlight taylor swift and dolly parton too you know that played it in more of a a, a pop way but it's still got the instrument out there we were supposed to get dolly parton's banjo and her dress the pandemic stopped that from happening and i'm, I'm hoping we're i think they're going to extend the exhibit to go longer and maybe we'll get it before it goes down yeah here's hoping i'm usually down here you can see me i'm in my little glass cage come by <laughs> tap on my window and see if i'm breathing i will do that well, Lucas, we got to spin the wheel. Okay. This is the this is the, the part of the show that that, that some people dread. But, uh, <laughs> hey, what happens? Uh, this is where we uh, pull up our randomized Randy list, and okay. hopefully you can see that on your screen. Oh and, yes. And we're going to uh, discuss a song at random after a cold listen. So whenever you're ready, just give me a good stop. I make the call. You make the call. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Now. Okay, we've landed on Brothers. Brothers. This is, yeah, this is one of his, his new ones. Um, okay. So uh, everyone go listen, go get out your copy of Dark Matter and listen to Brothers. And Lucas and I are going to listen to this together. Okay. And we will be right back. I'm so glad you come to these Wheel of Randy tapings with me. Why that? I want you to hurt like I do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did not expect that. No, no, he gets you. Three minutes of setup before we even get to what the song slipped out. Right. <laughs> What was that about? <laughs> I mean, I know what it was about. I'm reading the lyrics and I'm following. Man, how does he? I will say this I heard a few little nuances from uh, I'll Go Sailing No More. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, when She Loved Me, his Toy Story 2 song. Yeah. And it's that da 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 da. Da, 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 da. I heard a couple yeah, of those yeah, yeah, yeah. progressions. He, I mean, and he does it a lot. There, he has a song that he did way before Friend and Me for another movie. And it was like, it's the same. It's almost like he took that and just the same like rhythm, like, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, I love to see <laughs> you smile. It's got that same. same That's it. Yeah. I was yeah, trying yeah. to think of the other day, like, what is that? Oh, that's, is that, was that his? Yeah. 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 Um, again, it, it works. It's his. It's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, so here we have yeah, this, I can't this, expect that at all. We have this five-minute epic about the Kennedys where he never says the word Kennedy. Right. Um, and just kind of this this alt history about 
what happened with the Bay of Pigs that engaged him. When, when did this come out? When did he put this out? Uh, five or six years ago. I mean, this oh. is really, I mean, this is his most recent stuff. It, it's interesting too, because it's weird to listen to anything right now, especially something that comes out currently just thinking about just the things that transpired in the last little year or year and a half and to look through it, look at it through that lens. Uh, I think everybody's doing right now with, ev with everything. That, whenever it came out, they're like, oh, well, you know, you kind of have this mindset, which is good because it's an, an evolution in how we're able to adhere to and look at entertainment and storytelling and tropes and art and everything. Um, but uh, it was really, that was really an interesting <laughs> concept. And then it just goes into the whole thing about the, the performer Celia Cruz, like. Yeah. <laughs> who, who by, by the way, uh, you know, lived a long, happy life in New Jersey. So, so the, the, the queen of salsa <laughs> survived the revolution. <laughs> was it based on something that really happened? I don't know. Um, I don't know how much of that. I don't know how Celia Cruz got here. Um, I need to look that up. So uh, he, he always plays fast and loose with the facts. Everything he says about the Washington Redskins is right, though. Yeah. That they, uh, when every other NFL team had integrated, uh, Martin really dug his heels and said, no, we are the team for the South. We're going to keep it an all-white team. And they were just crushed throughout the 60s. It's so interesting. Well, I want to go back and listen to it again. And I hadn't really listened to any of that new stuff. Again, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with a lot of his music. Well, I thought, but then he wrote for so many other people. He wrote for so many people. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't even realize. I think that's one thing that I saw when I was reading about Simon Smith was he had been writing a song for like Frank Sinatra or Jr. or something. And he uh -huh. was just like, and he hit this rhyme with uh, clothes to wear and dancing bear or something. And he said, and that's just changed it all. And from that, I never went back and wrote conventional music. <laughs> so I don't know if that's it. So if I just happen to pick out of the blue a song just because I knew it from the Muppets, because everything in my world revolves around that. And it was his turning point in his creativity. That was pretty fun coincidence uh, there, but. Uh, that's very cool. Thanks uh, for sharing that with me. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed the, this whole album, Dark Matter. It's it's a difficult listen. Uh, you know, yeah. he he's spent a career writing two minute songs, and right. he starts off with this nine minute epic, and then five minutes on the Kennedys, and <laughs> it's wow. like this is uh, he he's always challenging himself. So I I appreciate yeah. that, but it is a dense listen. Uh, so that is Brothers. Lucas, uh, it's time for this week's cover. This week's cover. Okay. And we have a ton of covers out there for Simon Smith, uh, and they're all over the board. I've found, you know, children's musicians who do it. I've found. Uh, people who turn it into a, a fairly sad song but i think my favorite and the one that i'm going to put in the, in the links is by python lee jackson okay which mainly for the name what a great name for a band <laughs> i love that but uh they they do they do a, a really faithful version of it and we'll put a link to that uh in the show okay lucas this has been a great episode thank you so much for doing this what's the best way for people to get hold of you online they can just come find me in person i'm usually down here i probably shouldn't say that because i'm just asking you to punch in the face it's just a matter of time really yeah. uh, no, i'm at the banjo museum a lot of times during the week but you can find me on the twitter just my name lucas ross or instagram or facebook i don't know what i am there i think yeah. Official Lucas Lucas Ross official because who else would want to be me really? But, uh, but yeah, I um my you can go to my pretentious website lucasross.com and I'll post this on there. Ooh. So it'll just be a snake eating its tail in a circle. There you go. Thanks for having me. Thank you oh, so much th for doing this. Thank you so, so much, cool. Lucas. You uh, been 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 a great guest and thank you so much for doing this. Hey, that was a pretty good episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Network. Couple of acknowledgements. Thank you to Brian Mays for our artwork. You can find Brian online. He says Facebook's the best place to get hold of him. You search for Brian Mays Art and you'll find him. Thank you to Dalton Stewart and Vince Spencer for some extra voices for this episode. Thank you to Alex Sanchez for our Second Chances theme music. Thank you to Matt Farley for our intro music. You can find lots of Matt songs online at Moturn Media. That's M-O-T-E-R-N Media. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's my day job. We are registered civil engineers in Oklahoma and Texas. We specialize in water and sewer engineering for small to medium-sized communities. Uh, a couple of things that we're focusing on right now is hydraulic modeling. Uh, every town needs a computer model of your water system, or you're paying too much in your homeowner's insurance. Long story. The other thing we're specializing in is risk and resiliency studies. Every town needs to have a risk and resiliency study turned into EPA by this summer. If you haven't done it, hurry. Give me a call. Eh, if you're from Oklahoma or Texas. Legally, I can't help you otherwise. 405-426-7634. And our new background music that you're listening to right now is Good Morning Little Schoolgirl by Sonny Boy Williamson. Number one. That's our show. Now I'm done. It's Wheel of Randy.